afternoon. Let me add my word of welcome to that of uh, Pastor Lawton. And if you're um, visiting for the first time today, there were uh, there, there were a table of folk from China here for the first time today, and uh, they, they don't speak English, so, so they, they just came with the food and went. Um, but it was wonderful to see them and uh, to share some fellowship uh, with them. And uh, um, my, my successor uh, has been emailing uh, my executive assistant wanting to know uh, what I've preached on over the last 12 years. <laughs> and I understand, I understand the question because he probably doesn't want to repeat something that I've just done. Um, but in the process, I, I discovered that in the 12 years that I've been here, this address today is the 990th sermon that I've preached here in... Um, no, 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 no. So in, in 45 years of ministry, I, I've reckon roughly that I've preached about 8,000 sermons in the course of 45 years. Now, I was doing some research yesterday on George Whitfield, and George Whitfield died in his late 50s. Uh, so he was, he was only in ministry for like 35 years, and he preached almost 19,000 sermons. So... Whatever, whatever I've done in 45 years dwarfs in comparison to this giant of a man, George Whitfield. I'm giving an address uh, next month on George Whitfield's ministry in South Carolina. I'm giving the address in California, uh, and that may be a mistake because they may not be interested in George Whitfield's ministry in South Carolina, but that's what I'm doing. And I was, I was doing some research. Now, we're in Ecclesiastes chapter 7. Ecclesiastes chapter 7. And I'm going to pick it up at verse 13. Now, a, a lot of Ecclesiastes is a bit like the book of Numbers. And there's no necessary link between one verse and another. They're, they're, they're just observations and Many of the things in this chapter, as in other chapters, sound like proverbs. Um, Solomon has looked at life, and he's and he comes up with a with a one-liner, and and so there's no there's no um, organic connection like in in the Apostle Paul. Uh, you you have to work through a logical argument. Uh, that breaks into three sections, and that's very difficult to do uh, with the book of Ecclesiastes. Well, let's pick it up at verse 13. Consider the work of God. Who can make straight what he has made crooked? In the day of prosperity, be joyful, and in the day of adversity, consider God has made the one as well as the other, so that man may not find, so that man may not find out anything that will be after him. In my vain life I have seen everything. There is a righteous man who perishes, 
in his righteousness, and there is a wicked man who prolongs his life in his evil doing. Be not overly righteous, and do not make yourself too wise. Why should you destroy yourself? Be not overly wicked, neither be a fool. Why should you die before your time? It is good that you should take hold of this, and from that withhold not your hand, for the one who fears God shall come out from both of them. Wisdom gives strength to the wise man, more than ten rulers who are in a city. Surely there is not a righteous man on earth who does good and never sins. Do not take to heart all the things that people say, lest you hear your servant cursing you. Your heart knows that many times you yourself have cursed others. All this I have tested by wisdom. I said, I will be wise, but it was far from me. That which has been is far off and deep, very deep. Who can find it out? I turned my heart to know and to search out and to seek wisdom and the scheme of things and to know the wickedness of folly and the foolishness that is madness. And I find something more bitter than death. The woman whose heart is snares and nets and whose hands are fetters. He who pleases God escapes her, but the sinner is taken by her. Behold, this is what I found, says the preacher, while adding one thing to another to find the scheme of things which my soul has sought repeatedly, but I have not found. One man among a thousand I found, but a woman among all these I have not found. Ouch. (laughs) We'll come to that in a minute. See, this alone I found, that God made man upright, but they have sought out many schemes. Now, verse 13, consider the work of God. Who can make straight what he has made crooked? Thomas Boston, and we'll come back to him later, but a 17th century Presbyterian preacher in Scotland whose ministry um, very much affects the formation of our denomination, at least the, the Scottish heritage part of it. And he preached a series of seven sermons on Ecclesiastes 7.13. And they were published, and they're available to read today. And the book is called A Crook in the Lot. A Crook in the Lot. The lot is our life. But there's a crook in it, something crooked in the midst of our life. We'll come back to that later. You can hear uh, Solomon here in Ecclesiastes 7 seeking for wisdom. Several times in the course of this chapter, we've heard him say he searched out looking for wisdom. He wants to understand the way of things. He wants to understand life and the meaning of life and the purpose of life. 
And how should life be lived? And in his cynicism, he has failed to find out what life is all about. Life under the sun. Life without God. Life without a worldview that makes sense of it all and brings it into focus. He tried to be the philosopher. That's what he's saying. And what does he conclude? It was far from me. Solomon, in all his wisdom, and he's known in the Bible as Solomon the Wise. The one thing that we think about when we think of Solomon is his wisdom. Two women are arguing over a baby, claiming it is theirs. They come to Solomon for judgment. Solomon says, kill the baby. And the one who's not the mother says nothing. And the one who is the mother says, give it to the other woman, because she is the mother. It was wisdom, Solomon's wisdom. It was madness, he says. Madness. I tried to search for meaning, and all I found was madness. It's the epitaph, Derek Kidna says, of every philosopher. He notices in verse 15, in my life I have seen everything. If you're our age, my age, and more, you've said this many times. As you've, as you've observed life, you've seen everything. And then, and then something happens and you, and you say to yourself, well, I've never seen that before. I thought I'd seen everything, but I had never seen that. The madness of this world. That the good die and the evil prosper. It's a theme in the Bible. It's a theme of Psalm 78, for example. Why do the wicked prosper? When I was ministering in Belfast, I had some very close friends who had three children. And uh, one of them, Timothy, grew up to be a medical doctor. Uh, I knew him in his early life, life, uh, but I had moved here when he became a doctor. And um, he was a sweet, sweet boy. And remained sweet through his teenage years and into adulthood. And he was kind and thoughtful and... A few years ago, in his kitchen, he had a brain aneurysm, collapsed, and died. And he was in the 20s. So, why? Why, why should a young man who loved the Lord, loved his parents, his mother texted me, the day after he died, and she said, he was an amazing son. 
He was an amazing son. Who can understand life? Where can you find the answer? Where can you find wisdom? And, and look at verses 16 and 17. Be not overly righteous. And do not make yourself too wise. Why should you destroy yourself? Be not overly wicked. Neither be a fool. Why should you die before your time? One response is to throw in the towel. Live like the devil because tomorrow you die. And don't be surprised if you die young. You're not surprised that half the people in The Godfather are dead at the end of the movie. Join a gang. Chances are you're going to get shot. Don't think that being righteous, self-righteous is what he means, will get you anywhere. Lesson number one, there's injustice in life. Life is full of injustice. Bad things happen to good people. Bad things happen to Christians who love the Lord and serve him well. So you can't find wisdom in morality. In what Brian Chapel somewhere calls solar bootstraps. It's a, think about it. It's a clever little phrase that I can find out the meaning and purpose of life all by myself. Solar bootstraps. What about relationships? Can I find out wisdom in relationships, in marriage and family and friends? And in verses 26 and All the way down to 29, Solomon talks about women. Now, in 1 Kings 11, we read that Solomon had 700 wives and 300 concubines. A thousand, a harem of a thousand women. I don't even want to go there. I thought about it. I thought about describing what does this mean? One a night for three years. I said I wasn't going there. Uh, You may understand why he's cynical about women. Because he was a mess. He himself was a mess. This is a man that God chose to Build the temple. This is David's son. One of the great kings of all time. Who loved the queen of Sheba. So a thousand and one. His wives were... One of his wives was the daughter of the Pharaoh of Egypt. There were Moabites and Edomites and Hittites and otherites. Pagans, in other words. And what did he discover? 
Their heart is snares and nets and whose hands are fetters. Here's a man who's cynical about relationships. This is a man who would keep Josh Squires occupied for the next 50 years. He's not blaming women for his own weakness, but his relationship with women was terrible, just terrible. And God used this man. God uses broken people to accomplish his purposes. If you think that you're going to find the meaning of life in the bedchamber, forget it. Well, let's get back to the question. Where can we find wisdom? Wisdom is a good thing. Look at verse 19. Wisdom gives strength to the wise more than ten rulers who are in a city. He realizes that wisdom is a good thing. To understand is a good thing. But in verse 20, we are sinners and we get things wrong. And we twist things and connive things. And in verse 23, he says, All this I have tested by wisdom. I said I will be wise, but it was far from me. Even Solomon didn't have the answer to everything. The whole meaning of life and the whole purpose of life. Because there were things in life that didn't make sense. Let's get back to Thomas Boston. Thomas Boston was born in 1676 and he died in 1732. And he ministered in a little town in Scotland called Ettrick. And every time I made a journey from Belfast, caught the boat, um, drove off the boat, uh, making my way to Glasgow or Edinburgh, I would pass through Ettrick, small little town. And he's buried there. And one day he picked up a book. It was called The Marrow of Modern Divinity. It's a book that's very important in the history of this denomination. And it had been written a hundred years before um, Boston in, uh, in the f- late 1500s by a man by the name of Edward Fisher. And it was a book about the gospel and the relationship of law. He was converted under the ministry of Henry Erskine, uh, the father of Ralph and Ebenezer Erskine. And bells should be ringing in your head now because we have Erskine Seminary and Erskine College, and it's the same Erskine, it's Ralph and Ebenezer Erskine. And he preached on this verse. I told you that he preached seven uh, sermons on, on chapter 7, verse 13. Consider the work of God. Who can make straight what he has made crooked? There's a crook in the lot. That life can be twisted and bent out of shape. And some of you can testify to that today. 
that your life isn't quite what you thought it would be 30, 40, 50 years ago. There's a crook in the lot. The last eight years of Boston's life, his wife was crippled with depression. He had kidney stones. Six of his ten children died as infants. And there was an eleventh. And he prayed to the Lord as to what he should name this son that was born. And should he, should he call him Ebenezer? Hitherto the Lord has helped us. And so he did, thinking that if he called his son Ebenezer, God would spare him. But he died. Life has its crooked phases. Through many tribulations we enter the kingdom of God. That was Paul's first lesson in missionary work. When he reports in Acts 14 to the church in Antioch, through many tribulations we enter the kingdom of God. You remember the thorn in the flesh in 2 Corinthians 12, whatever that was. Three times he prayed that God would take it away. Three seasons of prayer, I think. And God said no. He gave him no explanation, only that my grace will be sufficient for you. That's all he said. And then there's Job. To lose his ten children in one fell swoop, to lose his 401k in one fell swoop, and then to lose his health that brings him to within an inch of his life. And the term skin and bones is an expression in, in the book of Job in the King James Version. He was skin and bones. He had something that resembled AIDS, some withering disease that brought him to within an inch of his life. And Job, remember, is asking all these questions that begin with why. And God answers none of them. And even when God speaks in the final chapters, it's only to bring him down no explanation. Job wants answers to questions, but God simply asks him questions that he cannot answer. And the point is that it's not important that we understand. It's important that we trust. God doesn't owe us an explanation for his providence. He simply asks us to trust him, to walk with him day by day. No amount of earthly wisdom, no amount of earthly philosophy can make sense of it all. You remember in Job chapter 2, and God is speaking to Satan. And God says something quite extraordinary. He says to Satan, you urged me to pursue him without reason. You urged me to pursue him without reason. And the Hebrew word without reason is chinam. And I was passing through a period back when I was in Jackson, when I was teaching at the seminary, and, and there was an, an issue 
that was getting me down, and Ralph Davis was my next-door neighbor. Um, His office was next to mine. And one day I came in, and there was a letter from him. And he said, Derek, perhaps this is one of those chinam moments in your life, that God is doing something from from an earthly point of view. There is no reason for it. It it is beyond explanation from an earthly point point of view. God moves in mysterious ways his wonders to perform. And he plants his footsteps in the sea and rides upon the storm deep in unfathomable minds of never failing skill. He treasures up his bright designs and works his sovereign will. Blind unbelief is sure to err and scan his work in vain. God is his own interpreter And he will make it plain someday, but not here. That's the wisdom that Solomon discovered, not the wisdom that makes sense of everything, but the wisdom that says there's a crook in the lot, and I don't know why, but God does, and I trust him. Father, we thank you. Thank you for your word, for this mysterious book of Ecclesiastes that speaks through the ages still. And we pray for that submissive, quiet faith to trust you in every circumstance, even when it makes absolutely no sense at all to us. For Jesus' sake, amen.